Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and as always, it is a real honor to have you joining me for another episode with a truly swoon-worthy guest. But first, an announcement and an update. So Living in This Queer Body has a new website. It's the same address, livinginthesquarebody.com. And this website makes it possible to give each podcast episode its own home, which is another way of saying Living in This Queer Body, the podcast, has outgrown its original container. And it has grown into a more expansive project, one that I hope to continue to produce for a long time. If you are a fan of the podcast or have appreciated the episodes, please consider a one-time or ongoing donation to cover the costs of producing this podcast and maintaining the website. There is a link in the show notes to make a donation via PayPal. We have a few really strong and consistent supporters of the podcast. Big shout out to Megan Joy, who has been a supporter from the beginning, as have some others. But it would make it significantly more possible for me to produce regular monthly or maybe even bi-monthly episodes with more consistent financial support. If that isn't accessible to you now, please consider writing a nice review on Apple Podcasts and sharing the podcast with some friends. So the new website also makes it easier to sign up for different ways of working with me. Um, And this upcoming year, I will be hosting two events. Um, related to living in this queer body. So in the fall, I will be hosting Always Coming Home, a 12-week disordered eating support group that will begin in October. There are limited spots and you can go to the website to sign up for that. Um, It will be starting soon. And the other offering is a three-month-long program intensive called Embodied Testimony. Some of you have taken it um, and been part of it in years past. And I will be announcing the theme of this year's Embodied Testimony soon, Um, but you can find out more if you go to the website. The other update, and you can read more about this via my email newsletter. Just go to the website, livinginthisqueerbody.com to sign up for that. Um, In the newsletter, I'll probably talk a little bit more about this, but I've been navigating a pretty significant career shift recently that was guided by my body's need for rest and reevaluation of capacity in light of some additional medical diagnoses. 
The grief in this transition has been intense, confronting, and instructive. Um, and I hope to continue to put out podcast episodes fairly regularly. But right now might be a good time to listen back to unplayed episodes while I recalibrate and resource myself. Okay, so enough about me. On to our guest, Joseph M. Pierce. In our interview, we get to know the melancholic, romantic, moody, queer parts of Joseph alongside the elite soccer player and collegiate level musician parts. We talked about the intense erotics of the locker room, the transcendent experience of being part of an orchestra, the big gestures and trickster strategies that are core to Joseph's embodied experience. We also talked about the brilliant project XXX, part of Knowledge of Wounds performance series that Joseph and S.J. Norman, also a Living in This Queer Body podcast alum, curate. It is one of his many attempts to embody and articulate expansive eroticism that exists beyond the limits of settler colonial love. Finally, Joseph shares his story of living with monkeypox, as well as the lucky and supportive queer care he received. My melancholic queer self was delighted to connect with Joseph during this interview. Joseph M. Pierce is associate professor in the Department of Hispanic Languages and Literature at Stony Brook University. His research focuses on the intersections of kinship, gender, sexuality, and race in Latin America, 19th century literature and culture, queer studies, indigenous studies, and hemispheric approaches to citizenship and belonging. He is the author of many things, including Argentine intimacies, queer kinship in an age of splendor, 1800 to 1910, published by SUNY Press in 2019. He is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. If you want to follow his work, you can find him lots of places. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Pepe Pierce and on Substack at Indigiqueer Confidential. You can experience XXX on Instagram at Decolonial Love Letters. I hope you enjoy this episode. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me today. I really have, I've really admired your work from what I know of it. Um, and you've been on my, you know, ideal podcast guest list for quite some time. So this is really, um, it's really nice to, to be talking with you today. So thank you for coming. Um, I guess I'd, I'd like to start with the question I ask everyone, and I always say this, but I really mean it. You can kind of take this question wherever it takes you. Um, and maybe what, what you can do is reflect on 
one of your earliest memories of um, being in a body, being in your body, or learning about what it meant to have a body? Hmm. Hi. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for the invitation and, um, the, f the first thing that is coming to mind about this is that in my youth, um, I was very involved in, in sports. Um, I played soccer my whole life and was very, um, dedicated and I played in, you know, in select teams and in the Olympic development program and I played in college. Um, so I played at a, oh. a fairly high level for a long time. Um, and <laughs> it's making me think of um, movement and mm. uh, being kind of in a on a field with other people and <laughs> running around after a ball but but also um the way that for me um that was always part of how i am imagined myself moving um i know some people will think about kind of dance or embodiment in in a kind of performing performance way and for me that was um that was like running around uh mm. and and kind of shifting my weight back and forth and uh trying to be tricky <laughs> <laughs> with people and trying to outsmart people and trying to be creative in that way and it's also something that i miss um and it it's a complicated thing for me, or I can make it complicated and in, in that uh you know I was like a young queer kid back in the day, and I didn't really know it and so soccer for me was always kind of like something I really loved um but also something that at times was really challenging um to be playing around uh you know in the 80s and 90s uh, mm -hmm. in in south texas was um you know there was a lot of homophobia and there's a lot of um just kind of um at the same time like really intense eroticism um mm -hmm. locker rooms are intensely erotic spaces and uh that that was always uh, kind of there there was always this like um back and forth between wanting to be seen and and fearing being found out i guess mm -hmm. um, but yeah that's the first thing that comes to my mind is uh being a kid and running around and kind of having the freedom to express myself in in that 
space. Mm. Do you, I have, I have some of that. I, I really noticed my reaction to when you said trying to be tricky. I feel like my, I just had an, a, a conversation with my partner the other day about my relationship to being an athlete, a queer, you know, not aware of it, young person who is an athlete and, and missing it actually too. Um, but, but also remembering that part of what I loved about it was kind of being tricky or, or outsmarting people. And that, that was, um, that was something that, that actually, that served me well in different sports, but also kind of, um, I don't know, I can, I I guess I can see myself in my kind of academic or intellectual life, you know, mapping that like, uh, idea onto, like, I, I kind of took up I don't know, a, a way of thinking or a, a kind of form of critical thinking that um, maybe I could see uh, that I was drawn to that early on. So I'm not okay. I'm not sure what that is for you. Maybe that there's something um, there's some thread of that kind of trickster. Oh, yeah, still in I've, you. I've totally thought about this. Um, I mean, I, I. I think I was a romantic soccer player like. I, um, in the sense that think <laughs> I was interested in, in, in big gestures and I was interested <laughs> in, in, um, kind of really d- delightful, um, turns of motion that I, in, in a way that I think is also reflected in the type of academic that I've become. And I don't know if someone, you know, 30 years from now is going to be like, well, you know, Pierce was kind of a, a, a romantic soccer player who was also kind of lazy, like, like yes, yeah. totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and sometimes I would try to kind of make up for that by like, you know, the, the kind of, um, there was a, a showiness that I, that I, I think I tried to, to use to mask like a lack of fitness sometimes totally. or, a, or a lack of, <laughs> yeah. or a lack of like, um, defensive capabilities, you know, like that was always something that my coaches would say, like, you know, yeah, you're, you're really creative, but you're not particularly, um, uh, steady. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and I think that that also, is is a a way that i i write and i think um and i maybe that's just how i am you know mm-hmm. and and the other thing i i think that um <laughs> the the other thing that i was thinking about when you asked me about some of my first memories is about some of my first memories about embodiment is um is that I was also very involved in music um, mm-hmm. and I, um, I was a tuba player, um, oh. LOL. And yeah. And I, um, <laughs> I, so I, um, but I was also like very good 
at it and I played in the Allstate band and I actually had a scholarship to play music in college. And so I played in the orchestra in college and then, mm. you know, all of these things. And, um, but I was also a very romantic musician. Mm. Um, and that's something that I, um, I don't really do very much anymore, but, but when I was doing that, um, it was always a kind of, um, really, like I was looking for a kind of intensity of feeling that was possible in music, <laughs> in playing music and being in a symphony or an orchestra um, or just a band. And, and that, that sense of, embodiment but also like I'm, I'm gesturing like i'm like i'm lifting myself out of my own body because I, mm. I think for me music was also a way of um there was like a an an effervescence that came in some fleeting moments when you were kind of outside I was kind of outside of my own body and I can remember that very specifically uh, a kind of transcendence and I, and I, it doesn't happen very often. And, and, and I don't know that, that I can name more than a couple times when that happened. But um, I think if, if, you know, playing, because, you know, when I was growing up, those were the two things, right? Like I was, I was very sporty spice. And then I was in, (laughs) I was in music and, then I was doing academic stuff and um, I was always just like running back and forth between rehearsal and practice and studying and repeat over and over and over again. I never had any time for anything. So I didn't have too much of a social life because I was always just like, you know, going back and forth between my different um, uh, like activities. Mm-hmm. that like in junior high and high school and then even in college like in college I was you know always going back and forth between rehearsal and practice and 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 studying and um <laughs> and I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this other other than you know I that that I'm grateful for the invitation to think about um something that I don't often talk about actually, which is that, um, a lot of the, the feeling that I try to, um, imbue in a lot of my academic work is a, is a feeling that I also remember from, from playing music and from um gesturing in in a in a musical vocabulary that i think also is part of the gestural vocabulary of um a sport like soccer which is which is very much uh about balance and um uh form and a technique Mm -hmm. Um, so like for me these things are all related, but they're kind of related in my mind. 
and in my body and I don't ever really talk about it. So I feel mm -hmm. like I, I feel like I've opened this up big time, big time confessional moment for me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I guess there, you know, there's something about the word nostalgia maybe isn't quite right, but, you know, to have, I think about this sometimes the idea of, you know, the reference points that we, we kind of hold in our bodies. And sometimes the reference points are, are of, of experiences. I mean, I, as a therapist, unfortunately, I often, you know, maybe not unfortunately, but just one of the realms that I, I kind of operate in is working with and being with other people's traumatic memories. So difficult experiences in, in their bodies. That's not all of what I do. And that's not all of what I experience myself in my life. But I do think that it's, it's just striking to me that you're, you're kind of referencing a whole world of um, experiences that you had in your body or within your body that, that are pretty potent. Maybe they're not always available to you in, in conscious memory, but it seems like they're very, you know, they're very potent memories of what it felt like to kind of reside in the, these spaces. Um, and you said maybe this is just, you know, this is just how I am and, and possibly it is. I, <laughs> I wonder, I guess I wonder if there's something, if it reminds you of something beyond just, you know, kind of something you experienced in your youth, you know, if it's feels like it is connected to, a lineage or like a, a kind of maybe some sort of like ghostly ancestral mm. person or I don't know. I guess the reason I'm asking that is just to say that it. If it sounds like and maybe I'm 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 assuming things, but it sounds like this way of being this way of kind of relating to like a certain form of delight and um, intensity of feeling is something that you knew and understood at an early age. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And that, yeah, yeah. It, through these practices, you cultivated that or you were drawn deeper into those experiences. But I'm wondering, I don't know if you have, if you've thought about. Oh, I have. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the other, okay, so uh, I've talked about um, soccer and music, but the the kind of other image, the image that I always have of myself uh, when I think back to a kind of formative idea of of myself as a as a young person is me sitting at my desk in my room, um, writing sappy poetry. Uh, while outside, it's always like this outside, it is really overcast and kind of moody and, and not quite stormy, but, but mm -hmm. uh, everything is gray. And, mm -hmm. and I, I did, I mean, 
I grew up in uh, a town called Corpus Christi uh, in South Texas, which is on the Gulf Coast. And it's very, it can be uh, very moody, <laughs> a mm. very moody place, mm-hmm. um, especially kind of in the fall and in the winter, it can be gray and there's storms that come in and, and, um, and I would sit in my room at night and like try to be a poet and um i have all these journals and all these like notebooks that i would write in mm. kind of late at night and um and it when i think back to that moment it's always it's always that kind of not nostalgia so much as um there's a there's a a mood of like like um wanting to find a way to 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 express some type of deeply held emotion and not not quite or or sitting there and trying to figure it out sitting there and trying to find the way to express it and 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 i'm there like in this kind of you know grayscape um (laughs) and and you know we i lived kind of we lived kind of out in the country so it's like everything's kind of empty and and the grass is is like blowing in the wind and um you know, I'm looking out over this horizon that is, that is actually kind of closed off. Um, Mm. that's the image that I have of myself. Um, when I wasn't doing those things, when I, those other things, Mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of sitting there trying to, um, trying to write words that, that would, um, give, expression to like girl girl you're a queer down here and you're trying to figure it out and like you're moody and like you don't know what's going on but like here you are mm-hmm. uh, you know like but like i think all of all of this in my mind makes sense like the the like being kind of this um kid who was always trying to find words to to describe feelings that were intense um but then also having avenues like playing music and playing sports that were other avenues like other ways of expressing Uh that um and i I always think that 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 was that was very much like how I grew up, you know, oscillating between these different forms of um like like always always trying to find a big gesture, a big thing. It was never small things. It was always like trying to like mm. trying to find a big image. And I I think for me that like I, I, I can be prone to 
uh, bombast and to like, like sappiness, uh, in my, in my, in speaking with other people, like I'm, I'm one of these people, like, you know, I don't drink anymore, but when I did, I was like, I would always get drunk and like fucking try to like, like pour my heart out into the world. And, mm-hmm. and like, that's always, that's always what I'm trying to do. I think I'm still trying to do that. You know, I think that's it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, there's an, a continuity to that, that, that has stayed with you to hear you say that it, you know, I, we don't know one another. I know uh, about your work and I've, ex- you know, experienced some of your work, but I don't, I guess it, it saying that doesn't certainly doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that was one of the, the aspects of, you know, the project that you, um, that you kind of did the, the, letter writing project um through knowledge of wounds um that that and and that that felt like a kind of um some sort of embodiment of um especially at a time i think it was it was pretty early in the first one i guess the first year of this pandemic um that that there was so I guess that's what was so compelling to me is what I'm trying to say. That was so compelling is the, the kind of um, searching for the words or the ways to express really deep feelings and doing it in public. And um, yeah, maybe if you could talk a little bit about, that project and how yeah. that felt for you, how it fits into this kind of, um, yeah, this, this earlier part of your life kind of thread. Yeah. I mean, so in, in 2020, um, I was in Sydney for the Sydney Biennale and, um, SJ Norman had, uh, been, uh, commissioned to install a a project there and um and he and I had just finished doing um the first iteration of the performance series that we co-curate called Knowledge of Wounds um which was held in January 2020 at Performance Space New York and um so it was after that and and I um I had some time off from teaching so I was able to go to Sydney, and this would have been in March of 2020, and so we were there, and then fucking COVID, uh, and it and it was weird because um, I wasn't I, I wasn't in the United States, I wasn't in New York when it really got started to get bad, and so I I kind of didn't imagine that it was as bad as it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the U S 
State Department said that the U that the United States was maybe going to close its borders, and Australia said it was going to close its borders. And if you wanted to come back to the United States, you needed to do it like right away. So um, it took some convincing. Um, my my partner basically gave me a, an ultimatum, which I'm glad in hindsight that he did. But um, <laughs> I was I was just sort of thinking like, oh, maybe I'll just stay and hang out in Australia for another couple of weeks, and it'll be fine. But mm -hmm. LOL, no, you know, uh, three, three years later, here we are. And um, so I had to leave um, Sydney very quickly, like from one day to the next. And, you know, SJ and I had been doing, um, doing a lot, you know, like going around and seeing people and going to the Biennale and, and, you know, he had installed the work and, you know, I was, um, like there kind of collaborating and, and sort of supporting what, what he was doing. Um, and then I had to leave and it was very traumatic, um, in that moment. And it was really hard. And then when I was back in the, in the U S it was, you know, my, I arrived in New York and it was scary. Mm -hmm. It was the, the very early times where, you know, people were like, there was nobody in the streets and people were walking down the middle of the streets because there were no cars and it was curfew and it was people yeah. bodies were being put in refrigerated trucks. And it was just like, it was very scary. And um, that's what I arrived to. And so I, you know, I was, I was in New York and a little bit of time passed and, and SJ was, was still stuck in Sydney and couldn't leave. And we decided to, to try to, um, kind of work through it in this series of letters for this project called XXX that um that we that we uh sort of performed on instagram <laughs> so we created an instagram account for that purpose and we wrote each other a series of love letters and it was a way of being connected across space and time in that really challenging moment. And he wrote a letter and then I read his letter to me and I wrote a letter and he read my letter to him. And we would, we would read it at sunset respectively in New York and Sydney, um, which was basically like the, the morning, the morning in New York was around sunset in Sydney and, and vice versa. Um, and so we did that for about a week and we keep, you know, and, and it, it's funny to think about it now because SJ actually just came back to New York. He was for, finally has been able to, to come here and we just saw each other for the first time, like, like a, a few days ago. Mm. Um, and it was wild. I mean, 
you know, we, we have such a, an, an intense and a beautiful partnership and, and relationship that is both, um, you know, work, but way more than that. Um, and, and affective and kinship and ancestral. Um, and so, yeah, that project was kind of a way of, from my perspective, at least, um, trying to not just make sense of the moment, but to find a way to embody across in in a way that in the only way that we could really <laughs> um and so yeah what we devised because we both we both love um <laughs> the epistolary form <laughs> and so we decided um to do to do it that way and i I think we, we both still have designs of carrying on that project at some point in the future. Um, mm. And, and, you know, um, I won't say anything else about that, but, but I do think that there's more to come from that project um, mm. because it was really, um, I think it was really beautiful. And, yeah. and I think it also, um, allowed us to like theorize our own separation while also embodying our intimate connection okay. like ex excuse the the like paradox there but it, it was kind of like how do we connect through writing and reading each other as reading and writing each other. Like, I think that was kind of the, the premise behind yeah. it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautifully, beautifully said. I mean, it was, yeah, as a, as a member of the audience, um, it, it definitely, there are a lot of like peak romance, um, dimensions to it right this like the sunset readings and um i i think that's one of the and just the form itself is really um i think it seemed as if the two of you were very it was it's a it's a well-suited form for for the both of you um and and very romantic in that kind of searching way um and when you were describing the the image, the formative kind of image of you in South Texas, you know, sitting with the turbulent sky, the gray turbulent sky, like, you know, searching with the poetry, I, I guess, you know, it seems like there's a, a kind of real continuity in some ways. Um, but also, I'm, I, I'm I nodding. Yes, <laughs> I, I imagine also some some significant differences, um, namely, you know, one of them being that they're, you know, to put this very broadly, your queerness is not, you know, something that you 
I guess, is something that you have language for. Um, and, and also a type of love that isn't just like settler colonial romantic love, mm. but, but which is much bigger and more dynamic than that. I think that's the thing that I really love about, about that project and why I want to return to it actually is, is that um, SJ and I both think and, and write about love in, in different ways. And um, we're both interested in an expansive, in a, an expansive type of eroticism that is not limited to the strictures of colonial romantic love. And I think that that's one of the things that the XXX project really explores um, and opens up. And that's something that is kind of a lifelong project. And if I, you know, if I think back, maybe that's something that I've always been interested in trying to figure out, not, not what is love, but, but what does it mean to be attached to another person? And wh what do those attachments produce in my body and in the body of someone else? And, and do we find, can we find language to voice what that means or what that feels like and um you know that's also poetics right like <laughs> you know so yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah no i i think that 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 seems I, i'm very curious to see where where some of those explorations take you i I wonder if maybe we could just touch a little bit on how maybe some of those notions of, I don't know, expansive eroticism or, or, you know, versions of, of love are kind of, I think I hinted at this, you know, in, in our pre-interview conversation, but how, how some of those notions are kind of being impacted in your, to your mind and your body by, by the sort of current circumstances we're in where there's, yeah. you know, a, a global pandemic, uh, COVID there, you know, we have monkeypox, we have all these, I mean, there, I could, there are many, there are many other, you know, kind of structural and uh, oppressive forces that, that would, we could point to that outside of that, but just, I'm just wondering if kind of those immediate, you know, kind of pandemic, uh, epidemic moments, how you're thinking about connection and, mm. and yeah. Um. I think that for me, shit, I, I mean, you know, I, uh, like 
I've just gotten over monkeypox, right? Like I had monkeypox, um, and that was a really kind of harrowing experience. And and I've been trying to write about it and talk about it and um and help um from my own experience sort of describe what it was like to try to navigate accessing care and accessing um uh information um and it it's um what i keep on trying to to figure out how to say is that a lot of the like a lot of the reactions to at least monkeypox I, I think it's different than first of all I don't really I don't really like the comparisons between monkeypox and HIV I think they're very different mm -hmm. and I, I also don't think that it's really appropriate to make a connection between monkeypox and COVID um, they're also very different in terms of what it does to your body in terms of the populations that are involved and in mm -hmm. terms of like the way that it is transmitted and the types of discourses surrounding it. So um, what I've been trying to, to do and think is, is that is, is like, how do we find a way to care for each other amidst a pandemic or an epidemic? Um, amidst a crisis while not losing sight of the core desire that that enlivens our relationships because a lot of a lot of what people are saying is like okay like just stop having sex or let's be celibate or let's abstain from this that or the other and it really runs the risk of pathologizing eroticism period mm -hmm. and secondly um legislating queer behavior in a way that we know is is always going to um have the effect of curtailing the possibilities for life that queer people and particularly queer people of color have in this world it's too simple it's too it's a facile argument to say that individual behaviors changing individual behaviors is the answer to the monkeypox epidemic mm -hmm. Sure, it makes sense to take care of yourself in a way that is holding true to what your life looks like, to what your circumstances are, to what your body is okay with, to what you need and feel. But at the same time, once we start to um, um, like curtail and limit the erotic expression of queer people were never we don't we don't we don't ever like uh that never ends up going well <laughs> for us <laughs> and so one of the things that i keep on trying to to think about is 
how do we center care and desire in these discussions? Um, how do we center caring while desiring? I don't know that I have the, the answer, but I do know that um, that that if we if we forego desire in the discussions about navigating this uh, crisis, um, we're really seeding ground that I'm not sure that we're going to get back. At least that's my feeling. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's kind of been my approach to like talking about monkeypox and, and thinking about um, like using my experience um, to hopefully um, help other people and, mm -hmm. and ask questions that we're not, that we're not currently asking at least on a on a broad scale mm -hmm. um but you know these are challenging times and like it was it was it was very scary at first you know having lesions on your body and mm. in my case like being an indigenous person with a disease that is essentially smallpox like yeah. it's it's very scary and like the deep um body memory of that i don't you know sometimes i don't know what body memory means or feels like and sometimes i i i, I think i feel it but in this case you know i would look at my body and there would be like this thing that i didn't know what it was and even when i had a name for it I couldn't control it. It was just like appearing and then another one and then another one. And I, it's not the same as smallpox and it's not the same as what my ancestors dealt with, but I, I do think it's, it's, it's in that direction. It's, it's, it's yeah. a very slight step in that direction. Yeah. And I feel really grateful and really lucky um, that I was able to access care from a competent healthcare provider who knew what questions to ask, knew how not to pathologize me, who knew how not to um, like, you know, um, stigmatize <laughs> my life. Yeah. Uh, and was able to, to help me access um, testing and treatment. And I know because other people have told me that um, not everyone has access to that. Of course, of course not. Yeah. And so I do feel really fortunate. And, and that's, I think this is also one of the reasons why I think it's important for me to talk about having monkeypox because I think I was lucky um, in mm. that I was able to access a lot of care. Like I have, really good insurance because I'm <laughs> I'm an employee of the state of New York because I'm a professor at a state university and I have really good health insurance because we're unionized. Like right. all of that comes into play in a moment in which I don't know what the fuck is going on. I just need someone to help me figure out what I need to do. Right. And so many people have kind of doctors who just haven't been keeping up mm -hmm. or haven't had the wherewithal or the interest in in learning what they need to do in this case and and yet 
you know, I was able to thankfully um, find really compassionate and supportive care. So, you know, like, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was luck so much as um, I live in an urban mm-hmm. setting. I like Emma cis queer man who like has a good job, has good insurance, you know, has a queer doctor, like all of that was in my favor to my benefit in this situation. And there are so, so many other people that do not have the same access to care and treatment that as I had, even in New York. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my two cents about monkeypox, but, um, I feel feel like the question was kind of bigger than that. Um, Well, it was so much bigger, but it, it, it's unanswerable. And so, um, (laughs) or I think it probably is. I really appreciate you sharing this part of your experience. And I guess I, I agree that it, it sounds like just in the way that you're talking about, you know, the conditions that were in your favor, right. That, that, in a way that is, that is the, the care in a way it is not, not, maybe not even close to the care that, that we deserve. Right. And that it's so, there's so much scarcity around that, that level of support. And so to kind of think about monkeypox as something that um, is being addressed with, you know, disinterested, just a, a totally dysfunctional and disinterested uh, healthcare system that privileges certain bodies and not others. And, you know, I think you're, it's, you're right. Like it is really powerful for you in particular to talk about, about your experiences and kind of gives us in some ways is, is unfortunately maybe like an aspirational vision for <laughs> how, um, how care bodies can be cared for in this moment. Um, but it is, yeah, help, it is helpful to hear, you know, it is helpful yeah. to hear and, it, and to put that, that story out there or your experience out there um, in all of that complexity, um, yeah. just because you received hopefully more than adequate and attuned care from a queer provider and, and, and all of that, it doesn't mitigate, really at all i don't think i would imagine the the kind of experience of fear that you described and the the kind of connections to your ancestral like linking that that you yeah. it felt in your body whatever that means exactly i know i know what you yeah. mean by that like kind of question of what does that actually feel like but the the knowing there was a knowing um there's a yeah. recognition and I don't think it can mitigate that. Um, but it, I sure am glad that you, you did get that kind of care. Um, yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I think, shouldn't it be, shouldn't that be like the baseline, you know, like I think about that and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm surprised (laughs) that, 
I was fortunate enough and right. Like surprise, fortunate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like it shouldn't be that I, <laughs> that I'm lucky enough, fortunate enough, like at this point, like, you know, job stability, middle-class enough yeah. to have access to what is a basic understanding of what I need as a patient in a crisis, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, that should just be normal, but we live in the United States and it's not. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere near. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I wish we could talk about a lot more and maybe we will at some point, but for now, I, I mm. think we have to kind of wind down. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know you probably have, well, I imagine you have um, many things that are kind of percolating for you, but is there is there a good way for folks who are interested, who are listening and tuning in, um, who are interested in kind of connecting with you and the work that you the wide range of a kind of work that you, you put out in the world. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm out there on Twitter being argumentative with people. Right. Um, so you can, you can, you can reach me there um, at Pepe, Pepe Pierce. Uh, I feel like I have to justify that too. Like Pepe is, is a nickname that people gave me when I was young and living in Argentina. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's just kind of stuck. And I don't know if I had to redo all my social media, maybe I wouldn't use it, but whatever. It's cool. Like everyone in Argentina calls me Pepe and it's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so th- that, and if you want to see the project that we talked about earlier, XXX, that is available. Um, on Instagram at decolonial love letters. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also connected through my personal Instagram, which is also Pepe Pierce. Um, and one thing that I've been trying out recently is writing um, little things on Substack, which is, I guess, like a blog. Yeah. Um, All the so I've kind of been, kind of been like, Anytime, like, uh, you know, a new, I just, um, a chapter that I wrote for an edited book, um, just came out, the the book just came out and this chapter is about, um, adoption and Mm. installations. Um, installations is a term that Karen Recolay, Cree scholar, Karen Recolay, um, develops and I. I think along with Karen and Emily Johnson, the choreographer mm-hmm. um, and dancer, um, as a way of trying to make sense of um, some of these ruptures of colonialism, uh, the, the the feeling and the embodiment of being uh, disconnected from kin. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't talk about this very much, but you know my. My father um, was adopted by a white family when he was a newborn. And so my 
connection to uh, mm. my Cherokee family has been like a long and uh, kind of really slow and challenging process, uh, mm. a legal process, but then also a, a reconnecting process. And so I try to, to think about that. And so I just um, kind of linked to some of the things that I've written about adoption and um, mm connection and reconnection on the Substack, and I think it's going pretty well you know like I think it's a place where I can just kind of it's a it's a longer form than Twitter yeah. and I can kind of like put links to things and make connections to some of the things that I'm doing which I think in academia is important because we like for example like I I just published this book chapter and to me it's part of a series of like four things that I've written about this that I would like for people to understand how those things are connected. And, and like, if you just see the book chapter, you may not like understand that it's part of like a, a series of things that I've been trying to figure out about yeah. adoption and, and kinship. So I'm finding that the Substack is a really good way to kind mm. of just like put out like kind of how some of the things that I've been doing are connected. Um, yeah. So there's that too. Um, yeah, those things. Amazing. <laughs> no, I, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, for I, it sounds like, you know, it's a real priority for you to, to kind of think about access and um, it's a whole other <laughs> conversation about, mm. um, you know, your writing and your work and, and your thinking and access and also, um, yeah. So I, I appreciate you kind of, um, sharing all of those resources. Um, so Joseph, it's been just really lovely talking with you and, and hearing a little bit more about your inner world and, and I appreciate you showing up for this conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Wado. Um, I feel like I feel like this has been really sweet, and now like I feel like I'm more connected to my that that melancholy child uh, <laughs> who was like always trying to find a way to express himself, and uh, mm. continues to try all, all every day. It's just like that's the work for me, you know. Like mm. always trying to find a way to say things hopefully in a way that makes sense to other people and, and find a community that way I, I feel like that's that's like my biggest um role in this world mm. so thanks mm -hmm. for the opportunity yes i seem to have that effect on people connecting <laughs> them to their melancholic <laughs> <laughs> The inner child <laughs> like, uh, maybe that's my role in life um anyway well thank you so much 